Okay, Jesus, healer. Have you noticed how we are also desperate for the perfect, pain-free bodies? And have you noticed the sort of things that people, the sort of things people get up to to try and achieve it? Well, I had to look around at some of the things people are doing to achieve perfect, pain-free bodies. And I, these, I, I thought I'd tell you about a couple of the ones I came up with that were my favourites. Someone called Kathy Bouchard suffered with the constant pain of fibromyalgia for nine years. She tried everything, every conceivable healer or medication, anything she could buy at the chemist, she tried the doctors, she couldn't find anything to work until she found chocolate. Sounds good to me. So she, she, she found that there's the, some particular ingredient in very high quality of chocolate, okay, not, not your rubbish, very high quality um, chocolate helped her and helped to get over her symptoms. So she ditched all the medicines and began to eat an ounce of quality chocolate every evening and every morning. Sounds good to me. And after two months, she had no more pain. The migraine he headaches had gone. And I like this bit. Because she was feeling better, she was more mobile, and she lost 22 pounds. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? it I like this bit as well. It took her a long time before she told anyone but her husband about the secret remedy. But now, she's, she's got a new thought about it, and she's going into partnership with the local chocolate shop to try and make, make it a more popular method and get some profit for them too. Well, I'd, I'd be in on that. Yeah. I just, yeah. Don't need the illness, just, uh, just the chocolate. And this, is, this isn't her, but it's a nice picture of a little girl eating chocolate, which I enjoyed, and I thought I'd show it to you. And I wonder if you know about the wonderful health benefits of bananas. Apparently, apparently, they can help with depression, PMS, anemia, blood pressure, loss of brain power, constipation, hangovers, heartburn, morning sickness, mosquito bites, nerves, ulcers, temperature control, seasonal defective disorder, stress strokes, warts, oh, and they can help you give up smoking. Let's all go eat bananas, that's what I say. Now this guy, the things that some people have to put up with, this is Christopher Sands, and he's got a real problem. He's been hiccuping for a year. He's unable to eat properly, sleep properly. He can't, he's a musician, but he can't play his instrument properly. So he's not getting much sleep. He's become less creative. He doesn't smile as much, he says. Please, can someone give him a remedy for hiccups? He's tried all the usual things. He's tried um, drinking from the wrong side of a glass of water. He's tried holding his breath, breathing into a bag. And it says here that swallowing granulated sugar is a cure for hiccups. I've never heard that, but he's tried that too. It didn't work. And actually, his, his hiccups are still continuing. And I've got some bad news for this guy, actually. I've been reading up on this, and um, in, uh, the, the, the person who holds the records for hiccups is Charles Osborne, and he had hiccups for 68 years, from 1922 until 1990. So this guy, Chris, might have a long wait. So the things we do to go for the perfect body and the perfect healing... Well, I guess it wasn't so different in the time of Jesus in that people were really longing to be whole. They were longing to be well. People were desperate for cures to serious illnesses and disabilities far greater than the hiccups. 
People who were not able-bodied at that time were left on the street. They had to beg in order to eat and were treated as outcasts. They were looking for cures then too. So when Jesus came on the scene and started healing people, he would have drawn lots of attention, a spectacle indeed. Jesus' healing ministry took off when he was baptised in the Jordan by John the Baptist when he was about 30 years old. Until then, he seems to have lived a fairly low-key, normal life. The story is familiar to, to most of us. As he came out of the water, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven opened and said these words, This is my Son, in who, whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. So it was the Holy Spirit that came on him that day. And after that, Jesus' ministry was empowered and the healing began. Now, I have a new car. I'm really pleased with it. You'll have heard about the saga if you've been here for a while about what's happened to my car and how I needed a new one and how I had a higher car. Now I've got a new one, nearly new. I, I like to think of it as new. It's, uh, it's a little golf, actually. It's quite uh, understated, sophisticated, as you'd expect, you know, dark grey. Um, and it's quite nice for nipping around town. But actually, there's a feature missing that I would quite like, and that's a turbocharger. I'd really like to have under the bonnet something that could really kick in when I wanted to go along the M4 down to see my in-laws. It hasn't got one, actually. But, and I just heard Phil say, good job, it hasn't. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit's a bit like that, I think. Um, the Holy Spirit was a bit like that. Jesus was already holy. He was the Son of God. But when the Holy Spirit came, he was empowered even more and began healing people. And it was the same with the disciples. They too, once the Holy Spirit had come upon them, started casting out demons and the healings that when they were involved began too. So people began to question who this Jesus was and the healing he did was an important sign of his identity as the Son of God. The great prophets in the Old, on the Old Testament had paved the way in the healing business, if you think about it. Elijah brought a widow's son back to life and so did Jesus. Elisha helped, healed a, le a leper. Jesus healed ten. So many who saw Jesus healing concluded that he was a prophet on this alone. But more than that, he fulfilled many of the prophecies of the Old Testament, such as this one in Isaiah 35 that I read to you early on. And the healings were part of that. So Jesus' healing ministry was part of a sign of his identity, as the Messiah. It was a sign of God's arrival. Now, I love John the Baptist. He's one of my favourite Bible characters. He was so real, so honest. And we're told that in spite of all he'd seen, in spite of the fact that he'd even baptised Jesus and seen the Holy Spirit coming on him like a dove, when he was in prison and away from it all, he was doubting. He was doubting. He was thinking, is this really Christ? And he sent messengers to Jesus and said, asking if Jesus was really the Messiah. Are you the one we're waiting for? He, they asked Jesus. In response, Jesus said nothing at first. He just carried on healing. But after some time, he told the messengers, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
Again, healing was evidence of his identity as the Messiah, a sign of God's arrival. And through Jesus, God's kingdom was breaking through, reaching into everyday life as never before. No wonder people took notice of this Jesus. So it was a sign of who God was, of who Jesus was. It was a sign that he was the Messiah. It was also a sign of God's character. It, and it, it pointed to the kind of Messiah he was. God said, said many times through the Old Testament prophets that he is a God full of mercy and compassion. He says it in this verse in Psalms and in Exodus. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. And Jesus demonstrated this. Jesus' healing made a profound difference to, the people's, to people's lives, more than in the West today. Most of us are healthy most of the time. We confidently expect our children to grow up and we plan for our retirement, fully, ex fully expecting to see it. Not so in Jesus' time. Children often died in the first year of life. There were lingering, lingering diseases like tuberculosis, malaria, and intestinal parasites were common, apparently. And they pay, they, it meant that a large part of the population were barely active. And I know it's like that in parts of the world today, so far from here, but very real too. But in, but in those days, there was no clinic at all. No clinic, Jesus, or nothing. So by healing people in that society, he did, Jesus did more than fix their bodies. He reinstated them in their rightful place in the community of God's people, the community God had promised to bless. And thinking of Jesus' compassion... He was even compassionate at the moment of his arrest. In Luke 22, we read about the scuffle in the garden as Jesus was taken away. And we read, One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. The healing Jesus did was a sign of God's character, of God's compassion. was also a sign of God's kingdom. As Jesus went about his ministry through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news to the poor, and healing every disease, he looked, for, he looked, he looked forward to a time when there would be no more suffering, no more pain, no more emotional, sickness, emotional or mental sickness. J. John, in his book, Just Jesus, which I recommend to you if you haven't read it, says that the miracles were like cinema trailers of showing a forthcoming attraction, the ultimate restoration of the universe to which we look forward. It was a glimpse of that. The healing was a glimpse of that. And of course, also, Jesus' healing was a reminder of what might have been, what God had planned for us in Eden before man chose to go away from God. Again, no sickness, no pain, no disability. Bodies living wholly and fully as God intended. So, the healings Jesus did were a signpost to something beyond themselves, a glimpse of the kingdom of God, a glimpse of his compassion on earth, and a promise for the future for all those who love him. Now, so that was what was happening then, and we've, we've talked a little bit about that. Well, Jesus said, in John 10.10 10, we read it, Jesus said, 
I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. But here, of course, Jesus wasn't talking about a fully functioning, beautiful body. He was talking about knowing the Father, living in a restored relationship with him forever, confident of eternity, absolutely sure of that. And I say, if we only seek physical healing from Jesus today, we're missing the point of what he came to do for us. He desires so much more for us than only able bodies. He came to bring us into a relationship with God here and now, whatever our physical or mental state. Even with the healing miracles that Jesus did, he didn't come anywhere near solving the problem of physical pain on this planet. That's not why he came. He came to mend the relationship between man and God and make the way to a place where healing will be no longer needed. Having a pain-free body without knowing Jesus is a bit like having a garden of astroturf, plastic shrubs and plastic flowers. A garden like that is functional. It does the job at one level, looks impressive. You can sit in it, you can read in it. It looks a bit like a garden. But in a garden like that, we would miss out on so much. The scent of the flowers, the touch of the grass, the welcome of the birds, the atmosphere of tranquility, the gentle breeze. Somehow, it would be a garden on a different level. It wouldn't be, fulfill anything like the potential of a full garden. Life without Jesus is not what God intended for us. Able-bodied, pain-free, or disabled and, dis and discomfort, it's his presence that enriches life. But I hear you say, Heather, it's all right for you to say, Physical healing ain't all that. It's not really that important. It's just a sideshow to what really matters as you stand there fit and healthy. So take it from someone who is qualified to say. Johnny Erickson has been in a wheelchair since she was 17. She's now in her 50s. She was perfectly healthy before she was 17, but she had a diving accident in which she was crippled from the neck down. She has no feeling in her arms or in her legs, and she's in a wheelchair. And in her book, Johnny Erickson, she tells her story. And someone says to her, um, wouldn't it be great if you got out of that wheelchair today and God healed you? And she said, yes, but you know what? You could, God could heal me and I could get out of this wheelchair, but it would be nothing compared to if you found Jesus today. Because if I got out of this wheelchair today, I would, work, I would walk on this earth my, with my own body for another 20 or 30 years, and then I would die. But if you, today, choose Jesus and give, his life, give you his life, you will know him forever, for eternity. He will make the difference to you. It's not, it doesn't even compare with me getting out of this wheelchair. And she finished, that, she finished by saying... From the standpoint of eternity, my body is only a flicker in, time span of, in the time span of forever. My body is only a flicker from the standpoint of eternity. 
We need a saviour more than we need a healer. But Jesus does still heal today. It is still true. You know, I've had a dodgy back on and off since I was a child. And over the past few months, it's been really painful. So much so that I've had difficulty picking things up off the floor. I've been unable to bend down very well. I've found it impossible to get out of the chair without groaning. And I've been very stiff. It felt as if I'd aged 20 years and it was getting me down. The pain woke me almost every night, so I wasn't getting good sleep, which made me grumpy. And it really wasn't a good thing. It was particularly bad if I had to stand for a while. And last Sunday, I had been standing for a while at that door, speaking to folks as they left in the morning, as we always do. I was trying to jiggle about a bit and stretch, and you know, but people begin to think you're a bit funny if you do that. It looks a bit odd. I think some of you probably did, but that's why I was feeling a bit uncomfortable. Then someone came by and said to me, how are you? Oh, and you know, a thought hit me right between the eyes, and I said, well, actually, I'm not feeling great. Would you mind coming to pray with me? It's probably because this talk was probably was a bit on my mind, you know, but it should be at the forefront of our minds, shouldn't it? Why don't we pray for each other more? It's not a big deal. Let's just do it. I said, will you pray for me? And this lady came back to the prayer corner with me. And she put her hand on my back, just quietly. And she prayed. It was very quiet. It was very simple. She just prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and work in me. And to wash the pain away. And then we stopped. I didn't feel anything. The pain was still there. I just said, okay, thanks. And went. But you know, later that day, as the day went on, I noticed something was different. Something was on the floor. I bent down and picked it up. I got out of the chair. I leapt up like I always have. And I realized that something was missing. It was back pain. Praise God. It was so much better. My sleep hasn't been disturbed once since, which means that it's good news for the family. I'm not as grumpy. Praise God. He does it today. He just does it. And we should expect it. We should expect it. God heals today, I don't doubt it. And there's many of you in this church who know that to be true from your own experience. And there's much written about dramatic, dramatic, much bigger dramatic healings today. I can lend you books if you're interested to read more about it. In John, Jesus said that his disciples would do even, in these verses, that his disciples would do even greater things than he had done. And if you think about it, there's much more healing today than there was in Jesus' time. Let's not distinguish between the natural blessing and the supernatural. Jesus made no such distinction. As one example, Alexander Fleming and the discovery of penicillin has led to the healing of hundreds of thousands of people. Then there are complex surgical procedures, brain tumours removed, electronic hands developed, even fingers to do delicate tasks have been created and people are healed and developed today. And as well as all this, so much healing is brought through compassion and getting alongside each other. I know that people who experience the work of our pastoral team here in the church or the care given by small groups often find it healing 
When people feel loved and noticed, healing begins in hearts that are full of pain. And you will have heard, heard us talk often about all sorts of different people telling their stories about the emotional healing they've received in this church through God's power. God is healing right here in this place. He heals today. It's still true. But there is a hard question, isn't there? There is a hard question. Why not always? It's a hard one, isn't it? Why is it that sometimes, no, often, when we ask for healing, it doesn't come? Notice that it was the same in Jesus' time. When Jesus was on the way to the pool of Bethesda, for instance, in John 5, he healed the paralysed man. Now that route that he took up to the pool would have been lined with people crying out to be healed, crying out for help. But yet, Jesus picked out this one man. We don't know why. He was healed, the others weren't. And there were other times when people pushed towards Jesus and weren't healed. Now, we could write a whole thesis on the problem of pain and disability and why it is in the world and why God doesn't, doesn't sweep it away. Many people have. And I can only just touch on it here. But actually, all that is written on it actually comes down to the bottom line, which is this, as we read in Isaiah. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We don't understand because we're not God. God if we understood God, he wouldn't be God. I, know, I hope you don't think that sounds like a cop-out, but I, of all that I've read on this, all that I've studied on this, the bottom line is we don't know why and we won't know until we get to heaven. I don't understand why two of my friends, Rachel and Jan, for whom we've prayed for healing, still have tumours in their bodies. But I do know that both of them are still alive long since the time that the doctors said they would have died. And they both say that they have experienced God more than they ever did when they were well. They know him in ways they never dreamed possible. You will know, some of you will know, that I'm at Spurgeon's College at the moment studying theology. And this week, this very week, we were talking about this problem of pain um, in a lecture, and a very eminent theologian was talking about it. He's written lots of books on the character of God and the nature of God, and he stood in front of us and said, I just don't know the answer, so I'm not alone. I just throw that in in case you thought it was just me. What I do believe is that sometimes we are not healed because we don't ask or expect it. We're looking in the wrong place. And it's outside our expectation of God. Now, at Spurgeon's College, we have a fantastic library, which I have, it's, it's, it's internationally famous. It has just about every book you can think of on the Bible or related religions or theology. And I have full access to it 24 hours a day. Oh, yes. Recently, I was writing an essay on Matthew's Gospel, and I duly went to the library and found a shelf with books on it um, on Matthew, which, as you'd expect, it was down on the floor at the end of a row, and I picked out a few from the from the few that, I picked out some books from the few that were there. I thought to myself, "Well, for such a famous library, that's not much of a choice." I thought, but I took what I had and I figured that maybe some of the other students had got there before me. 
And I, made, I took them away and made do with what I'd found. Sort of wasn't really my expectation, but I made do. I settled for that. A few days later, still struggling with the essay, I was in the library again. I happened to be just around the corner from where I'd set, from, where the, from the shelf of books that I had settled for. I took a sharp intake of breath. There were shelves of brilliant books on Matthew. There were concordances and textbooks and full commentaries, colour, no colour, you know, written form, audio form, it was all there. It was round the corner. I had been looking in the wrong place. I had missed them because I hadn't really, I had settled for less. They were out of my sight and experience and I hadn't tried hard enough to discover what was available. It can be like that with healing. We look in the wrong place, maybe at new age alternative therapies, maybe at our own strength, not really expecting God to heal. Let's go further than that. Let's use what is available and ask, through, ask for Jesus through his Holy Spirit to come and heal. Let's raise our expectations. Let's search further. Let's expect to find more. Let's not settle for what we've seen and experienced in the past. Let's reach for the unseen and untried and expect more of God. Also, I just wanted to, to say that nothing is too difficult for Jesus to heal. Jesus didn't only make the blind see and the lame walk, which seems pretty spectacular to me, but he also raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Imagine that, in a hot climate too. He was wrapped in grave clothes and embalmed with herbs. It's horrible thought. He would have started to decay. He would have smelt terrible. Yet, Jesus commanded Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And with just a couple of words, he came. It's the same today. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for Jesus to heal today in terms of physical or emotional healing. I wonder if you're carrying something that you think is too difficult for Jesus. Let me tell you, it's not. It really isn't. Now, in all this, we have a response to make ourselves. We can't just ignore it. We can't just sort of let it go, let it go over our heads. And now, as I finish, as I draw to a close, I want to make it personal. Because today Jesus asks you, as he did these blind men on the road to Jericho, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you?